everybody. Football Fact Check is brought to you by Game Time, your go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. I say it all the time because it happens to be true, but did you know NFL ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts? Game Time tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers. Then it shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans, 12 million and one at least, because I know for a fact that I have used it, um, have downloaded the Game Time app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. It's so easy to use, and if you're doing it at the last minute, that's how it has to be. Um, the app is super simple, easy to navigate, two quick taps to check out, and then you're on your way to the sporting event and or a music event, theater event. It's all there for you on Game Time. So head to the App Store or Play Store and download Game Time and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. It's Game Time. It's time for the Football Fact Shack. We're a promo code just waiting to be typed out. Take it away, Shaq. I don't even know what that means. But anyhow, hi and hello and welcome to Football Fact Shack, athletic listeners. Hope you enjoyed week 14. We're already gearing up for week 15. We're going to chop it up a little bit with two playoff contenders. Specifically, we are going to address the NFC side with Matt Barrows. He's the host of the 49ers podcast here on The Athletic. Here's the catch. Good name for that one. Matt Barrows is going to be talking about that dandy game down in NOLA. On Sunday, the shootout 48-46, to as we predicted they would. The Niners did survive the Saints, and now the buys are in jeopardy. Who will be the number one seed? It's all in the mix, and the Vikings are there, but here come the Rams, and can the Packers stave off the Vikings, and can the Vikings stave off the, the Rams? So on and so forth. This is the juiciest time of the football season. It's just glorious if your team's in the mix. And then on the a- on the AFC side, we're going to catch up with our pal from the Immaculate Podcast. He lives on the banks of the Three Rivers and co- covers the Pittsburgh Steelers. It's Mark Caballi. He's one of the hosts of the Immaculate Podcast podcast here on The Athletic, and so we'll hear about Duck Hodges, what's going on there, that great defense. Perhaps now that the Niners have slipped back a little bit based on that performance we just saw, the Patriots getting exposed by the good teams, that they, the good offenses that they've played of late, starting with the Ravens and then the Deshaun Watson game two weeks ago, and Deshaun Watson came back from that one with a stinker, not personally, but uh, the team kind of, this is what can happen to you in December. When you feel like every game is a big game, a game that you need to have for playoff seeding, you're going to take your foot off the gas a little bit. Human beings tend to do that, and that's why you saw the Texans slip a little bit about against the Denver Broncos. No matter, though, they can still win the AFC South because they have not won but two games out of the last three against the Titans as Ryan Tannehill continues his ride his resurrection in Nashville, Tennessee, late from uh, from Miami, Florida, of course, and Patrick Mahomes. He went into Foxborough. He vanquished Tom Brady and company. All sorts of questions on the field about Tom Brady, about that defense that, like I say, now three times against high-end offenses has looked mortal itself. And so you really wonder about this 2019 Patriots team, and you wonder even more about the story coming out of Ohio in Cleveland in advance of a game against the Cincinnati Bengals next week. The Patriots videographers or... Um, an offshoot of the Patriots, 
were videotaping the Bengals sideline. The the bottom line is, and you know, listen, I like to indulge fu- fun conspiracy theories and everything else. I've talked to enough people now who who have stood on NFL sidelines, who understand the minutia of what's going on down there and asked, what would you even try to learn from having a camera focused like that on the sideline? It's not as though they still do the same, what what they would have done 10 years ago in terms of signals and such. So what you might learn, what tendencies, it's as as, uh, my pal Sean O'Hara over at uh, NFL Network said, it's all on tape already, the the tendencies of the other team. So what you could learn, I am going to let this one go. I am not going to obsess over what did Belichick do, what have the Patriots, this 21st century dynasty, done here, and instead focus on the fact that they look perfectly beatable. And I will also remind you and myself that before you go too far down this rabbit hole that this time it really is over for the Patriots, right around this time last year, They'd lost in Miami on that crazy flea flicker, uh, you know, uh, Stanford, the band is on the field style um, pitch play on the last play of the game. Then they went into Pittsburgh and they lost that one. And we all declared, or many of us, that the Patriots were not going to win the Super Bowl. This was the year of the Kansas City Chiefs. And then the Patriots caught fire and they ended up, if you didn't hear, they won the Super Bowl. So let's not close the book on the Patriots. However, the Ravens roll continues. Another tough foe. On the road, they went into Buffalo. They took them down. Now the Bills head to Pittsburgh for a big-time game in terms of wild-card status. And the Bills, if things break just right for them, can still catch those Patriots and take the AFC East. That would be crazy. I'm sure the Bills would be relatively content, at least, taking care of Pittsburgh, solidifying their spot in the playoffs in January with only two more games to go. So much to talk about. Let's not uh, spend too much time flapping our gums alone here. And by the way, hello to Cam. Nice intro there. To Q and to Zuri. We haven't a moment to waste, though. we got to get to it. Our first guest, before we get to Matt Burroughs, to talk about the NFC West, the Seahawks, the Niners, all that jazz. Let's talk a little Pittsburgh Steelers first here with, like I say, one of the hosts of the Immaculate Podcast here on The Athletic. Here's Mark Caballi, everybody. All right. Always love Kibitz in with this guy, and not just because uh, I like the black and gold. It's because he's a delightful fella. He's a great one to Kibitz about movies with, specifically Karate Kid. Before I bring him on, as a matter of fact, I have to share a story that he can then react to. I um, I was at uh, NFL Network um, this morning, and I ran into Colleen Wolf, who, of course, hosts Thursday Night Football and uh, pregame stuff. And uh, I, she dressed, she was in all black and a, in a kind of a sort of an aesthetic that made me, I, I said to her, yo, you look like you could be in Cobra Kai. And, uh, <laughs> and she didn't know what that meant. And then I felt old and sad and I, I wanted to shame her, but the shame was on me because uh, I, because she didn't understand my reference. Anyway, with all that being said, let's not just talk about uh, people who wear all black. Let's talk about people who wear black and gold with, uh, with part of the Immaculate podcast and the fine written work on The Athletic. It's our pal Mark Caballi. What's happening, Pally? Man, that's a lot of react to right there. I'm not yeah. quite sure. If I am following Colleen... I'm going to unfriend her right now or unfollow her just because I, 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 I'm a principal alone. Well, that's the beauty of uh, social media is that you can interact with people and shame them for, for their misdeeds. And I think if anything qualifies, this would be it. And speaking your age, 
Uh, now calling them black and gold, people look at you sideways now because everybody under the age of 30 thinks it's black and yellow. Yeah, I know. And it's a hard argument to mount, too, because people ask that and they're like, no, the Saints wear gold. No, no, that's called old gold. What the Steelers wear is just called gold. And it really, I, you know, when, when people point that out, I think they're actually right. But anyway, I, I don't want to get into a Wiz Khalifa debate with you. And uh, maybe we'll have time to get a quick review for you because I, I noticed that you preceded me in taking um, your little ones to see Frozen Part 2. I just oh. saw it. I, I, I emerged with more questions than answers. And I felt I feel that, that you shared that, that same opinion. It was hard to follow. I mean, I need to go see it again. If I go to a movie, I shouldn't need to have look at my wife and say, now, I'm a little confused here when it's – a G-rated movie. I don't even know if it was G. It might have been actually PG. But whatever. I don't think there should be answers coming out. Yeah, it's annoying that that, that song. Right, anyway, listen, Let's not, we'll talk about Frozen 2 at, a, at another time. We have important matters to address here, specifically the emergence, the rise, the phenomenon that is Duck Hodges. Let's start there because it is a remarkable story. Just tell us something, uh, you know, anecdote or three, whatever uh, strikes you. Who is Duck Hodges? What, what sort of fella is this guy? Well, you know, he, he's, he is what he is. He's just your average, you know, typical down-to-earth type of guy, you know. And especially with how stuff has been perceived and how things have gone on in Pittsburgh over the past four or five years um, with certain people, um, it's a little bit of a refreshing to have a guy like that in the locker room. So that's why he's getting so much love from the fans here. Sure, I mean, he's won, you know, three starts that he's been in, and he won another one and potentially could have won another. But it's not like Duck Hodges is going and putting up 350 yards passing like Kurt Warner did back in, you know, 20 years mm-hmm. ago when he was a rookie come out as a number three guy and nobody knew who he was. This guy's barely getting by, throwing the ball two yards down the field, hoping for a couple pass interferences. But knowing that he is a guy who is an underdog and you being from the city, a guy like that who's humble, underdog, never was supposed to be here, a, a tryout guy in May, the guy that probably shouldn't even be on any team, now gets a chance and now succeeding. That's why this city is going nuts. And you were in town uh, last couple of days. I'm sure you saw a duck hat or a duck shirt or a duck it's anything. Crazy. It's crazy. Yeah, up. they turned that stuff around pretty quick. You can get all manner of duck stuff, not just a T-shirt. You can get the rubber duckies. You can get uh, magnets, pins, everything with uh, with the number six, with duck hodges, so on and so forth. But I think a part of his success to this point at least is, uh, you know, he's a human being after all. I feel like he's liberated from any expectation and therefore any pressure. Is that the vibe you get off of him? Yeah, I mean, uh, he he doesn't really have any expectation. And like I said, everybody loves him. However, he is now in a position where he's won some games. They're in position to make the playoffs. Now I'm curious to see how much uh, leniency the fan base gives Mm. him if he goes out there against Buffalo and throws a couple ducks and is the reason why they lose and not the reason why they win. But as long as he sticks to the plan, and that's what he's been doing over these past two and a half weeks, even when you go back to the Chargers game, you were at that one too, mm-hmm. he hasn't made any dumb mistakes where you're saying, what are you doing? That Maybe, okay, he should have 
fell down on a third down play to keep the clock running, but he's not forcing balls into anywhere. He's not throwing it where it, it, it could be a game altering type of play. As long as he sticks to that plan, they continue to do that. They're able to run the ball a little bit effectively with that pretty good offensive line and just turn it over to defense. More often than not over these last three games or maybe even the playoffs, you're going to be in that game in the fourth quarter having a chance to win the game. So as long as he continues to do that and not try to become the guy that threw for 100,000 yards at Samford, I think he'll still have some success, even though it's nowhere comparable to the big number seven and what he's able to do. But I think if he sticks to that plan, and that's going to be tough, and that has a lot to do with Randy Fickner, the O coordinator, and Tomlin to pound that in his head to keep doing that. I think they have a legitimate shot here at making a playoffs and maybe even winning a game. Yeah, it's funny how that's uh, how I've kind of modified uh, the, what my expectation is for the team, not for the guy. Like I have said since basically since halftime of week two, whether it's Mason Rudolph or Devlin Hodges, the 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 quarterback for the team is not going to win them games. But as Tomlin rightly said a couple of weeks ago, he didn't kill us, and that's basically the standard. But have you seen some things specifically the best ball or one of the best balls I've seen Hodges throw was the touchdown pass to to Deontay Johnson that seemed like a big time throw and the um the alertness he showed in the in the big um third and whatever it was uh scramble to his left and then to find Deontay Johnson for the first down late in the game in Arizona those seemed like pro level throws uh from this free agent kid yeah absolutely especially the, the touchdown one because it was a bad snap by pouncy and you know how things move pretty quickly around the red zone there he picked that up and just you know for lack of better words he winged it to the side dude, he won decent. that ball dude the db yes. didn't know what to do it was pretty good. It, I mean, typically he doesn't have that strong of an army. We haven't seen too much of it. But that that's the thing where I've seen a little bit. I mean, this, this actually does go back to training camp when you were comparing him and Mason Rudolph. I mean, every time you saw Mason Rudolph, you're like, my goodness, he just putzes with that ball. He dances. Then he tries to get away or throw the ball or, or whatever. When you saw Duck, it was three-step, five-step, seven-step fire it and I don't care where you know I, I don't really care I'm getting rid of the ball and I think you see that a lot and that's been the biggest difference I think between him and Mason Rudolph he makes which is really stunning when you think about it. he makes quick decisions for a guy who's you know five foot ten and played at division two or one double a his entire career and as long as he keeps doing that plus now he's taking a couple shots too rudolph was a little bit afraid to do that early when he got into games his first couple games of the season he was afraid to go let them the receivers go get some 50 50 balls and that, that was a criticism on him uh hodges isn't like that have you seen over the past two games i think he's I think they've had like four or five pass interference calls in favor where he just wings it up. He sees the man coverage. Let's throw it up there. Let's see if James Washington can make the play as well. So that's been the biggest difference. But I like, I mean, we can go back to probably even the tryout in May where he gets rid of the ball on time, and that's been the biggest difference. Yeah, it's, it, it's, it's, it's clear to the eye that Mason Rudolph 
was almost too casual back there. He wasn't in a rush to get rid of it. He just he, he stood there with uh, giant bodies flying all around him to to the fans' frustration. What do you think with Juju coming back? You always hear this. You heard it about the Saints when Drew Brees sat down that maybe this uh, imbues the rest of the guys out there and succeeding without him with a different level of confidence. Do you think that that's the um, the result of Juju sitting down and giving James Washington and Deontay Johnson um, more opportunity, more targets, and otherwise that uh, the Steelers are now ultimately better for that. Yeah, I mean, you, you saw that the last two weeks, two weeks ago against Cleveland, it was Washington made a handful of nice plays. And it was Johnson this past week making plays. But when you have a talent like Juju, you bring him back here, you just hope they don't do with – I mean, let's do a hockey reference in Pittsburgh here. When Crosby's out, Malkin picks up his game. But when Crosby comes back, Malkin's like, uh, you know, Sid's over there. He can do the heavy work. Yeah, you deferential kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah, you just hope that doesn't happen with – a you know, James Washington's only in the second year, and he barely played at all last year. And we saw Deontay Johnson. I mean, he's already in his – was this game 14, 15 mm-hmm. – I'm pretty sure he never played 15 games to Toledo in one season before. So he has to be getting a little bit, you know, beat up here and there. So you hope he doesn't take that step back and say, okay, Juju's back. Uh, he'll take up, pick up some of the, the heavy lift in there. But just to have Juju there, to have that guy that can make that splash play, that big play should be beneficial. But then you want to think in your back of your head, if you bring him back, you bring James Conner, which is both are potential this week, not guarantees. How much does that mess with what the offense wants to do? I, I know they're talented players, but are they going to mess with the mojo here that's going on? Hmm. I guess you have to have those guys. You have to have your best athletes on the field, but you just you can see it now. If those two come back, the offense struggles. All of a sudden, we're blaming Connor and Juju for messing up a good thing, and that's uh, crazy to think when you're talking about who they have at their at the ready right now when they have guys like. Johnny Holton and Dion yeah, King well, and Kareth White. And it's exactly right. And we want to, yeah, and we want to kind of, uh, you know, just don't kill us entire offense score. You know, if you, if you can get us to 17, that will more often than not be good enough with this defense. But it also requires that the defense not just continue to relatively dominate in 15 points a game in, in 21st century terms is dominating. But more importantly, or as important, is they're also turning the ball over consistently. How is it that this team that never was able to do it, is it as simple as as the arrival of Minka Fitzpatrick, that that changed the mindset? Why is this 2019 defense able to turn the ball over when it was the bugaboo of even high-end defenses for the majority of the decade, yeah, I guess of the decade or even the century? Yeah, you know, uh, but, you know, Minka really hasn't produced much over the past couple. We're not saying producing no, right. what he is. He's not getting picks, fumble recovers, or anything like that. He's a guy that's in the right, pl- right place at the right time. You don't see guys getting beat over the top, which you did for like three or four years straight here. Now, you know, I asked Vince Williams the same exact question a couple days ago. And he goes, ah, we're just emphasizing it as much as m- more this year. I'm like, wait a second. I said, you're telling me the coaches just decided to emphasize – turning the ball, creating turnovers right now. He goes, no, you don't understand. We emphasize it. 
if we're walking by somebody, we're pretending like we're punching the ball out of somebody in the hallway. If we're out on the practice field, that's all we talk about. If we're you know walking to the airplane to get on there, we're trying to knock something out of somebody's hand. It's just always ingrained in our minds right now. And, you know, when Bud Dupree comes around the end and tries to sack somebody, you know what the last thing on his mind is? Sacking the guy. Mm-hmm. It's trying to hit the ball out first. So that's how he explained it to me. Um, I would have to say you have to throw – some players in there as well. Minka for one. Devin Bush adds to it. Mark Barron adds to it. And Steven Nelson. And when you put those all together, just think, they don't even have to it, who was probably their best defensive player through the first month of the season. Literally right true. And I thought that's where they were going to fall apart was uh, teams are going to be able to run on them. But that hasn't really been much of an issue since two it went down. But you mentioned his name, and I just, uh, you know, with all the high end, with the the splashier players they have, and Joe Hayden with, uh, with uh, three picks in the last couple of games. But you mentioned the guy who's a little forgotten, slipped under the radar, free agent acquisition. The Steelers don't typically deal much with uh, paying guys a ton of loot. But Steven Nelson, you don't hear his name called very often over 60 minutes on Sunday and that's a good sign with a with a cornerback yeah he doesn't do much at all I mean he, they did give him the most free agent money they've ever given anybody in the history of their organization I know that's all relative because it's only 27 million dollars in uh you know 2019 I think they gave maybe Jeff Harding's 24 million but that still gave him the most money of any one guy so they must have liked him must have needed him but the crazy thing is Jack is last year I think he was the second most targeted cornerback in the entire league he had like 115 120 Mm -hmm. targets with the Chiefs. they were just peppering him left and right left and right that's not like it here I mean two weeks ago against Cleveland against uh you know Mayfield Hayden and Nelson were rarely ever even targeted. They just stay away from him right now. And you don't hear a lot from Nelson on the field or off the field. I mean, I don't think he really likes us media folk. Every time you try to talk to him, he's playing on his phone and doesn't really help you out. So I think that's uh, helping him stay under the radar a little bit too because you would love to do stories on this guy, but he's just not interested. That's his type of personality right there as well. But he's been extremely key and – and I mean, obviously, a guy like Hayden's been tremendous as well, and and even even the guy that you probably don't think of is Javon Hargrave, who is filling in for Tuit at the defensive line position. He's a free agent after this year. He's a tweener where he was a nose tackle, but now he's playing a little D tackle in the sub packages. He's been unblockable as well. And I think they all finally working off each other, all playing. You know, together, when I mean together, is that they're actually on the field together for more than a game or two. So uh, I don't see – you look, you look back at the one game where they lost in this span. They've won, what, seven of eight? Mm-hmm. It was against Cleveland when they didn't force any turnovers. That's it. That's so. the – that's uh, it, it's easy to circle that one. Even I can do the math on on uh, the difference between that game and all the other ones. Um, yeah, it's a, the the defensive performance is remarkable, and you're right. And the the you know right in the middle of it is if Derrick Henry is the guy on offense who turns it on in the second half of uh, of every season the last few years. Cam Hayward is that defensively. So let let's boil it down to this: a Sunday night football. Here come the Bills, and they have a high end defense. By the way, just straight up: Bills defense or Steelers defense. Oh, so I think, I mean, I've watched the Steelers every game, so I've seen that. I'm, I'm not really can sit here and say that the Bills are will be better than them. I find it hard to believe that many defenses have been as successful as them. So I'll say the Steelers just because I know them 
Um, well, those bills, bills uh, those bills are not jive. That will be a real game. That is going to be a fascinating one to check out. Do you think that uh, just a couple more questions for you? The three big figures of the last decade, and uh, in in Roethlisberger's case, the last decade and a half. Do you think Levy and Bell, when he's not bowling, and Antonio Brown, when he's not putting stuff uh, um, up on social media, do you think that they ultimately regret it, or do you think that they still? have a chip on their shoulder and are glad they did what they did. I think I'm, I can guess what your answer is going to be. No, I know. I know. Le'Veon's not regretting anything. He got his money. He got an extra five bucks out of it all. He's all happy about that. That's the only thing that he cared about was getting the money. And, you know, I find it funny that Antonio Brown keeps apologizing to Bob Kraft and the Patriots. There's probably some other team he probably should apologize to, even though they, he knows he has no chance of ever coming back here. I don't think Antonio is bright, bright enough to regret anything. So I'll tell you what about that. I'll tell you what, Antonio Brown. The 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 thing that is uh, in hindsight, the mistake he made. I think by the second week of January, he probably regretted doing what he did to, to basically push himself out of Pittsburgh, and, and it was almost irretrievable by that point. Um, but when he when he tweeted out fake news about the Bills trade, if he would have gotten to Buffalo, he'd be a lot better off, obviously, than he is right now. Or, or he would have destroyed him, one of the two. Yeah, one of, yeah I guess that's <laughs> a, a fair point. Um, but what about the third link in that? Have you heard anything about Roethlisberger? Is he going to be because you start talking about, and I'm not done with this season, and I, I, you know, I've modified expectation. If they can get into the playoffs, it's a great story, and it'll be it'll be a dandy stuff for everybody um, who who loves watching the Steelers. But for 2020, all of a sudden, you look at the defense and Juju coming back, presumably healthy, and if they can if they can do if they can tweak the offensive line, which is getting a little long in the tooth. That would be the one weakness I would see there. The, the, is Roethlisberger going to be okay, though? Yeah, first on defense, they probably have to do something with Bud Dupree. I mean, yeah, I right. I don't really want to franchise tag him, but he's a big key to that defense right now. But, hey, Roethlisberger, I mean, he's been around. He's part of the team right now, and you, you can't say that a lot about a lot of people who have, who have been injured. He's been going on the road. But they've been very, very quiet about what type of injury. We now know it was an elbow. But they're saying I mean, you hear that it's not the Tommy John surgery, and they, for some crazy reason, they won't let you know exactly what it is. I think it's some kind of muscle issue or something to that effect. But knowing that guy, Roethlisberger, first of all, he's getting paid a ton of money next year. I think his cap hits like thirty-three million. He's coming back. Number two is to have a career like this. He's not going out like this. So. He's coming back. And number three, he wants to prove that he can lead this team without Antonio Brown, just like Antonio Brown wanted to do hmm. with the other way around. So he he will be motivated. The question is, is the elbow will be fit? It's He's supposed to be starting throwing here you know, in a couple months. And if as long as there's no physical limitations, he'll be back. He'll take the starting job. And oh yeah, I wouldn't think I wouldn't be, think mentally oh, he's ready to move on. I just as I look yeah. at 
his uh, his peer group and Phil Rivers looks used up and Eli is very likely to walk away after this year from what I'm hearing. I, I just wonder if, you know, if, uh, you know, Tom Brady even finally seems to be returning to the planet Earth and, uh, you know, all that, if 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 there's any indication you, that medically and otherwise it? he's going to be ready you, to flip the ball around. Because it is weird. It was, oh, it's not Tommy John. And then the yeah. assumption was, well, that's good then. So it's just, so it's not yeah. as bad. But I'm starting to get the sense with the lack of information that it might be as bad, if not worse. Well, I talked to um, Jake DeLome when it right happened. He was one of the first to have Tommy John surgery. And he said, first of all, it was the easiest rehab I ever had. I came back and was throwing in a couple months, and my elbow was stronger than ever. And he signed a decent deal right after that. So if it was Tommy John, that might not have been a bad thing compared to, you know, a football player. But the circle around a little bit about the Phillip Rivers thing, they fall off in a hurry. Philip Rivers was a stud last year. Mm-hmm. So when it goes, it goes. That is so. exactly that is a great lesson that I always say about football guys. It is not a gentle uh, stroll into good night. It just one day you're good, and then the next day you fall off a cliff. There is no sort of like, ah, he's kind of losing it. It just they're good, then they're bad. Yep, and that's the way it is for a lot of. Them. I mean, you see guys that are, will start on your uh, the team you cover. Then they get released, and you're like, well, you know, I'll give you an example. Landry Jones, we all thought he was a pretty decent backup quarterback here. Nobody picked him up. Nobody cared about him. We're like, whoa, that was kind of quick there, That where he went from, you know, a guy that we thought could start for eight or ten teams in the league to not even being able to be picked up, and that goes across the whole whole way. You see guys are here, then they disappear, and you're like, nobody's ever picked him up. I thought he was pretty decent. Hmm. No, they go quick. Yeah, I guess so. Um, and I guess Eli, well, I don't think Eli will be, but I bet Phil will be out there trying to find a gig next year. We'll see if uh, there's one for him. You know what? Bill Cower, way back when in 2004, I even asked Cower that once. I said, the rumor was that you preferred Phil Rivers to Ben Roethlisberger, and he didn't deny it. He said everything worked out for everybody. That's what his answer was. Ah, it all worked State. out. That's where his wife was from, so... You ever okay. heard that story? They wanted Sean. They wanted Sean Andrews, but uh, Dan Rooney came in and said, "Well, uh, you know, you only have a one one chance in a lifetime to get a franchise quarterback, so I'd probably change your mind." And so they end up picking Roethlisberger. Yeah, and I hear the I hear, I hear the Browns passed on uh, the state hero in favor of uh, Kellen Winslow Jr. I'm sure he's going to wind up in the Hall of Fame like his dad, but we may as well two, take the quarterback. Two or three years ago, they uh, passed up on T.J. Watt to take Najoku, right? That's was right. tight ends and stuff. Yes, yeah. they did. Yes, they did. Uh, Kabali, I could talk. Uh, I could talk with you all day here. Many more questions for you. Last thing: Do they get in, or do the Titans and Bills uh, end up past them with the five and six seed? No, I think they get in. I think they only have to win two of their last three. Oh, I think they. I think conceivably they only need to win one. Yeah, potentially. I mean, depends on what Titans if they split. I mean, obviously one of them going to have an extra loss. And how it looks like right now is Ravens aren't going to play Lamar Jackson week seventeen. He got the Jets game, and the Steelers play tremendous at home. They play tremendous on Sunday nights, and they match up with teams like this pretty well. So. I hate to say it. Can you imagine this team being 11-5? and five? If they get, I'm telling you, if they beat the Bills, then 
I will modify my expectations again that they at least can win a wild card round game. But that, listen, let's not get crazy. Let's enjoy the ride. This is what it's like to be one of these teams that has to scratch and claw to get to January. And if they do it, that will be satisfying enough. There is no Super Bowl on the horizon, I don't think, for Duck this season. But, uh, Kabali, uh, you're a mensch for joining us. Appreciate all the time, and uh, let's kibitz again soon. All right, sure. There he goes, the great Mark Cabali, everybody. Like I say, Immaculate Podcast, plus the great pages there on The Athletic. Check them out, if you will. No, I'm going to go ahead and demand you check them out today. All right, everybody, listen up and listen good. I'm going to start at the end because this is uh, the most important item if you're listening to Football Fact Check today. Use this promo code SHEK when you're getting your food, your tender vittles off of DoorDash, and it's the way to go here in the 21st century. You know, some people in man's recorded history are lucky enough to be there, to be alive and have at their fingertips certain technologies. I'm sure it was like that back for the cavemen when they figured out fire and then uh, then uh, the uh, then the people who figured out the wheel. I'm sure that was a neat time. That's how I feel about DoorDash because it doesn't make a difference after work or school or if you, you're stuck at the office even late. You know, you, you want to eat well. You don't want to have to you don't have to deprive yourself of uh, of some tasty food. Now you can treat yourself to the meal you deserve with all your favorite restaurants and they bring it to you with DoorDash. You can be in your sweatpants. You can be in your boxer shorts. I would suggest that you not be in the complete nude because that's simply rude in our society, but you get my point. You can be nice and casual. You don't have to microwave anything. You don't have to cook up a frozen pizza. You just call up DoorDash. You go on the app and uh, and your favorite food, pretty much every restaurant that you like is going to be available to you. It connects you with your restaurant's uh, that you like to get wherever you are. Ordering is easy. You open the DoorDash app. You choose the food you want. Your food is delivered to you wherever you are. It doesn't just have to be pizza. Could be pizza if that's what you like. It could be Chinese food if it's what you like. The point is, now the rainbow of delicious options is available. 340,000 restaurants in 3,300 cities, so you might find a new favorite while you're at it. Door-to-door delivery in all 50 states and Canada. Your local favorite go-tos, national chains too, like Chipotle, Wendy's, Chick-fil-A, Cheesecake Factory. By the way, Cheesecake Factory lives up to its name. They have good cheesecake. I, in fact, delicious cheesecake. Order up uh, like four or five pieces if you want. DoorDash will bring them right to you. Don't worry about dinner. Let dinner come to you with DoorDash. And now back to where we began. Make sure you use the promo code SHEK, S-H-E-K, and uh, you, the listener, will get $5 off your first order of $15 or more. Again, $5 off your first order. DoorDash app from the App Store. And uh, enter the promo code SHEK one last time. Promo code SHEK, S-H-E-K, $5 off when you get DoorDash. Good stuff from Kabali. Hey, Cam, have you seen Karate Kid? I have, yeah, yeah, no. I'm The original I'm, one. Don't yes, be a wiseacre yeah, with me. Yeah, of course. The other one doesn't count. I know that it's been well documented that I'm kind of incompetent and maybe have missed out on some big movies. Yeah. But I've not missed out on Karate Kid. Okay, good, good. Yeah. Have you, and have you seen Frozen? The first one? Yeah. 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 You saw that one? Yeah, I watched, I watched that. I just, you know, not You're not the young enough that you went to or, it. Or anything, you know, major. 
Well, you're a grown man. When Frozen came out, you must have been 15, 16 years old. That's not a grown man, Dave. No, that, that that's wasn't. an adolescent. No, I know. Well, that's Godfather? not an adolescent. That's full on teenager. Well, I you didn't, you know, you it's didn't an just adolescent like, stage. Did you unironically like, let's go see Frozen? No, your I, I, I was watching it with, you know, some kids my mom babysat and uh, just happened to come on and we watched it, you know, 20 times. Uh, so basically every time they came over and then I might have watched it recreationally once or twice. All right, let's let us let us let that go, as Elsa encouraged right. us to do, and move from the AFC now over to the NFC side of things. Let's catch up with Matt Barrows and talk some NFC West, shall we? All right, this is going to be good for any NFC fan, NFC West fan more specifically, and then more specific than that, if you love the San Francisco 49ers, check out Here's the Catch podcast, and here's its host right now to kibitz about those Niners. It's Matt Barrows. How are you, man? I'm doing great. How are you? Well, I'm probably not as well as you if you uh, are more than just objective about uh, the Niners. That had to be one of the more satisfying watches in recent memory for uh, for anyone associated with the Niners. What happened down in Nola on Sunday? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, talk about uh, regular season wins. This team's had a, a few really uh, compelling playoff games in, uh, in the recent past, but that may have been the most compelling regular season game uh, uh, back and forth. It reminded me a lot of the the famous uh, 2011 playoff game between uh, the Saints and the 49ers, one in which um, sure. Alex Smith and, and Vernon Davis had great plays at the end. And that's what it was like. It was like two teams trading haymakers throughout the fourth quarter and whoever had the ball last was going to win. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah, it was, a, it was a great one, albeit a little bit different than the way the Niners have uh, skinned the cat to that point in the season. 46 points. Anything coming off of that? Um, D Ford, uh, you know, again, re-injures uh, himself, and it looks like he's going to sit down for at least a week, and then Richard Sherman uh, even a couple of weeks at least. Is that right? Yeah, it looks like uh, those are both hamstring injuries, and, and Ford was coming off of a hamstring, so that probably makes the 49ers even more cautious when it comes to uh, hamstrings and, and Richard Sherman's injury. And they also lost their center, uh, Weston Richburg, who is having a really a phenomenal year. Um, you know, this was a very good rushing team. Weston Richburg was part of that. And, and, and anyone who, who follows the Atlanta Falcons knows that um, Shanahan bringing in a, a really good center before that 2016 season uh, pay real dividends and, and then going to the Super Bowl. So that's uh, that's something to keep an eye on. They're going to have to go with uh, a backup, Ben Garland, at center uh, from here on out. Yeah, I mean, uh, with all respect to Sherman and Ford, I would think that the Ridge, Richburg injury is uh, is the worst one for the Niners with, uh, with what Shanahan wants to do there. But speaking of the running game then, who is now with the – with the way, uh, you know, depending on what week uh, I would ask this question, who do you consider to be the number one back, or is that immaterial with uh, with the way Shanahan's running things this season? Yeah, I mean, it's really a hot hand situation. He'll give each of those guys, and, and they're Raheem Mostert, Matt Breida, and Tevin Coleman, some carries at the beginning of a game, and whoever looks better basically is the guy from, from that point forth. And, and that's been Mostert these last two games, mm-hmm. but... I, I I wouldn't be banking my uh, my fantasy football savings on that moving forward because Tevin Coleman could have a hundred yard game uh, Sunday against his former team. Or Brita's coming off an ankle injury showed real n- nice signs of uh, of coming back. 
against the Saints, he could be a hundred yard, two touchdown guy too. So um, they're really interchangeable. They're they're very similar to one another in a lot of ways. Um, they're they're three of the fastest running backs in the league, and they can uh, they can catch out of the backfield. So uh, it's it's an embarrassment of riches for Shanahan. It, it it makes it really hard. I get a lot of these questions every week about. Uh, which 49ers running back should I be starting? I, I have no idea. Hmm. Uh, just just start George Kittle is, is always my uh, rejoiner to those uh, th- those. Uh, well, arguments. by the way, with Shanny doing the the clever stuff, he likes to hand the ball off to Kittle. I don't think I'd ever seen that until uh, until this season when he turned around and handed it to 85 with uh, with some of that jet jet sweep action. Um, that's interesting too. So so it is as it seems to anybody watching the game that it is just Shanahan kind of reacting with his gut to what is in front of him that Tevin Coleman is uh, looks uh, looks to be having his way more than the other guys uh, on the, in this particular game I'm going to roll with the hot hand yeah I mean Tevin Coleman started the game uh, against the Saints but uh, Mostert obviously finished it I think he was in for 40 snaps I forget what what Coleman's number was but it was much less just just a fraction of that so uh, it kind of depends on what's happening. I, I I would imagine, if I had to guess, I would say that Coleman again gets sort of the, the, the first opportunity uh, to, to do damage against the Seahawks. Uh, Shanahan, like a lot of head coaches, will kind of uh, play up, uh, you know, who's playing his former team, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So it would not surprise me if Coleman – um, at least has the first opportunity against the Falcons. Now, who's the hottest guy? I don't know. I mean, Raheem Mostert to begin the season was sort of, you know, very much the the number three back, a guy that uh, Shanahan would bring in only occasionally, only if there were uh, injuries elsewhere. But um, he, he's gained the most ground, I would say. He's really kind of proven himself. Um, he had some fumble issues early in his career. He had to kind of prove himself uh, in, in that regard. But um, he, he's coming on strong, I, I, I guess, is what I'm saying. Well, I'm, I'm fascinated by always, and I, we, we ultimately, I know, have to see how it plays out to see who ultimately has the advantage. Is it Quinn going against Shanahan or vice versa? And does Tevin Coleman have any uh, insight on what uh, what the Falcons want to do in this one? Um as it lays out, though, the Falcons are are the, based on the last month's results. The Saints can tell you that the Falcons are not a pushover on the road. And then you go Rams, and then you finish it off with what presumably is not just going to settle the division, but the way things are tracking could settle the number one seed. In the meantime, the, a point I keep making on this show throughout the season is we keep playing cynic or a lot of people out there keep playing cynic about these Niners I am the only person on the face of the earth outside of the Bay Area at least who said that the Niners would win this division in advance of the season but it feels to me like what is the mindset it feels like they've played a big game in roughly every single uh, on every single Sunday in the last six weeks or so is there how is Shanahan from what you've been able to pick up keeping these guys up for every game like this, I guess it's not a coincidence that the Cardinals almost got them up there in Santa Clara a few weeks back. But you know, uh, what's the mindset to to stay up with these games where, where there can't be any letdown against the in these upcoming games here? Well, you you mentioned one of them, and and that's that they've had a lot of doubters all season, and uh, they seem to. Uh, uh, hate slash love that in that it, it really motivates them to kind of 
prove to the world that they're that they're good. You know, first it's the Packers, then it's the Ravens, uh, the Seahawks, and and then most recently the Saints. So that's that's been part of it. They, they've got a veteran in all the right uh, places too. They've got Richard Sherman. They've got Joe Staley, who's been who's uh, been on this team since 2007, was on some terrible teams early on, was part of those hardball years when they got good, and then, you know, was part of the team when it fell back to the bottom, and now they're back to the top again. So he, of all people, uh, know, knows the, uh, the ups and downs of, uh, of all of this. So that helps as well. But I, I think you're right. I mean, Shanahan called just a magnificent game on on Sunday in New Orleans, he beat Sean Payton in Sean Payton's own own building at Sean Payton's game. But getting the team ready for the Falcons, I think, is going to be a coaching achievement. Uh, they, they've been on the road for two weeks. Um, they're exhausted. Uh, somebody asked yesterday about, you know, what was the, the plane, light, uh, plane ride like? on the way back from New Orleans, was it just like a party atmosphere? And Shanahan's answer was no, everybody was asleep. Hmm. I mean, they were exhausted from that trip. And, um, you know, we're in mid-December now. They, they played uh, playoff-like games, as you noted, the last month. Um, I, think it's, I, I think that's a real challenge. How do they get up for the Atlanta Falcons, uh, given all that they've been through in recent weeks? Yeah, and uh, and you know at this point they're going to the playoffs, but you certainly don't want after this glorious run and uh, you know flirting as long as they did with uh, undefeated status and everything else. It would almost be a little, it would be anticlimactic if they were playing in wild card weekend on the road in a place like Dallas or Philadelphia. Is that? Uh, is, is that a sense? Is there a, a sense of frustration? Like, what more do we need to do? To, well, we don't have a bye locked up yet. We still have to win in Seattle in Week 17 so that we get to put our feet up for a week? I, I don't think they're allowing themselves to go there yet. I mean, I, I think they would be very frustrated with that. Um, but, you know, they, they're saying now that they control their own destiny. If they win out, then they're the number one seed. Mm. That's all there is to it. Um, everything is, is, is looming. Everything is pointing like it always does, uh, when the 49ers are good to, uh, a showdown with Seattle in Seattle on, uh, on December 29th. Actually it's on, yeah, December 29th, uh, the season finale. And, uh, you know, they, they were nipped, uh, at the end of five quarters by the Seahawks, uh, on November 11th. And uh, it's going to be just as close and wild and noisy. I mean, the game on Sunday in New Orleans was absurdly loud. The game uh, to end the season in, in, in Seattle will be louder than that. And uh, that's what it, it all seems to be coming down toward. Who wins that game? The winner is the number one seed. Uh, the loser is probably the number five. Yeah, you know, and uh, I guess uh, given the 20 teens as they've as they've gone, I kind of like the completion of this decade circle that um, it would it's nice to see um, what had emerged as the 21st centuries, at, at least on the NFC side, the best rivalry going. I wouldn't mind seeing 2019 round out with uh, with round with after week 17, a round three, maybe with a with another trip to the Super Bowl. I still say the Colin Kaepernick throw when he elevated in Seattle and he threw that strike, he threw a laser from 35 out to Anquan Bolden remains the greatest throw I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, that ball zipped past uh, the safety mm-hmm. and into Bolden's hands. There, there are a couple of really beautiful 
uh, still uh, photographs of that taken from the end zone where Earl Thomas is kind of looking back like, what the hell just went past my face? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and Bolden's got the ball in his hand. But uh, yeah, I uh, I remember that very well. And, uh, you know, that was that was it. I mean, the 49ers knew that, uh, you know, if they didn't win that game, that that era was probably over for them. And and they were right. Things started to fall apart right after that game. Bodies fell apart. The, the team fell apart. I think they were eight and eight the next year, and then uh, that was it for Jim Harbaugh. It's a, well, it, it's a fascinating point, and you know the rhetoric that you hear is a playoff game or as a season winds down for a team that this team has nothing to hang their heads about, and they'll be back next year, and the way they're built, and they have a good coach and everything else. But of course, we've seen this story so many times. And the key factor, even undefeated though they were, the the questions were all about Jimmy G. And it seems that in the last month that he's really answered those those questions. Do you get the vibe in the locker room with Emmanuel Sanders and George Kittle, two high end pass catchers, plus the emergence of the young guys? Do you, do, do you feel like everybody is confident in the passing game at this point, and specifically in uh, in number ten? It's gotten better as the year's gone on, and, and part of that is, you know, ACL-related. I mean, he, he missed uh, all but three games last year, and, and there are going to be hiccups at the start of the season. Uh, part of that is Kyle Shanahan-related. Um, it only played eight games in, in mm -hmm. Shanahan's system. I mean, uh, and I think Matt Ryan, uh, his, his counterpart on Sunday, would be the first to tell you that you really need a full season in that Shanahan offense to really get it. It's a, it's a dense demanding offense. And, uh, you know, uh, frankly, Garoppolo just didn't have the time. And then the, the last part of that I, I, you just touched on is, is the receiving core. Um, you know, they, they added uh, Emmanuel Sanders at mid season. And then the, the, the two guys who are also big contributors now at, at wide receiver, um, Debo Samuel and Kendrick Bourne are both young guys. Those guys have gotten better noticeably better as the year has gone on and, and Garoppolo has gotten better at kind of knowing them and trusting them as well. So all of those things are, are starting to uh, come to the forefront now and, and, and just at the right time too, because uh, the, the defense has shown a little bit of signs of, uh, of cracking here. Um, it's just another element, uh, uh, you know, a, another uh, leg that uh, this team can use to prop itself up if that passing game is uh, running on all cylinders, and it, and it certainly was on Sunday. Yeah, it seems like there's now enough evidence internally that uh, in the huddle and otherwise that there's reason to now believe in Jimmy G in big spots. And therefore, I don't see many weaknesses uh, for this Rams team. The only weakness that they have is that they still have to play the Falcons, then the Rams who are getting hot at the right time and then finish it off in Week 17. Either way, you'll be, uh, you'll be kibitzing about the Niners into January with Here's the Catch. By the way, the athletic podcasts on the whole have – a great have a great collection of names. Were they all named by one person, or did you cook that one up by yourself, there, Matt? No, uh, we had to have a a very very long and tortured brainstorming session to come up with. Here's the catch. It it took a while to settle on that one. I remember we were doing it this summer, but uh, yeah, that's what we finally settled on. But uh, I forget what our, what our uh, our loser list was, but uh, it was extensive. The ones that we rejected. 
Um, yeah, I was, I'm trying to off the cuff, trying to come up with some, and uh, I'm failing <laughs> no, because you see, you, I'm not. It'll uh, take you three weeks. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm I'm very limited creatively, so I don't know why I would try to do that. I'll let you go for now, Matt. And uh, and listen, you already hit a home run with uh, here's the catch. Um, continued success to uh, to you and uh, with the podcast and otherwise, and to your Niners. And uh, hopefully, we'll be able to catch up sometime in January. All right, sounds good. Thanks there he goes, everybody. Matt Barrows from Here's the Catch here on The Athletic. All right, there we go. Thanks to Matt Barrows. Great stuff on the Niners and really that Seahawks rivalry. You know, I love my football history, and it usually um, has to do with stuff that happened in the 20th century. But let's keep in mind that uh, as this decade rounds out, how dandy that would be if you could get – the uh, the Seahawks, well, we're going in week 17, going to see the Seahawks and Niners play an important game. I wouldn't mind seeing them play around three, just like they did in back-to-back years back at uh, the start of the decade. Anyway, thanks to uh, Matt Barrows and thanks to Mark Cabali as well. I have to correct myself, though. They didn't play now as I'm thinking about it. They played that one in Seattle, the title game, but they didn't play again in the following season. I'm trying to think who vanquished those Niners in the playoffs. I listen, you know what? Don't, don't, don't look at me, Zuri. I'm just going to I'm gonna close the show out here. That's it. Dude, I was going to look it up, but we'll let the fans look it up. Well, they played a lot. They, yeah. were the, they were generally two of the very best teams in the NFC, nay, the entire NFL. So, okay, so for Q, for Cam, for Zuri, and for, uh, for you, the listener, we appreciate you listening. Spread the good word about the show and about the athletic in general. We'll be back with our picks for Week 15 ASA and P. Until then, thanks so much, football fans. It's been a thin slice of heaven.